Shalom and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are joining us today for this uh, webinar brought to you by the International Christian Embassy, Jerusalem. Uh, today is a very special day in Israel. It is called the Yom HaShoah, or Holocaust Memorial Day. And uh, today at 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, the nation literally came to a standstill. The sirens were ringing, and for two minutes, uh, the whole nation was standing. People could have got out of their cars. Traffic came to a standstill, and people were commemorating the six million Jews that perished during the Holocaust in, a, in Europe, governed by Nazi Germany, perpetrated by Nazi Germany. And every year on this a special day in April, one week before Yom Ha'atzmaut, Israel is commemorating the darkest chapter of Jewish history. Now, if you want to see what was happening today, uh, we have a little clip prepared for you that was recorded a little bit earlier today, and please have a look. No volume, we need the volume. Yeah, I don't think there is a sound to it, but this is now you see the... And I think there should be a little clip also about what happened at Yad Vashem. I'm not sure if we have the images. No, we don't. But also today at Yad Vashem, there was a wreath-laying ceremony where every year the, the president of the state, uh, the prime minister, many key leaders of the nations um, are laying down a wreath. And we have been, we have been very privileged, like every year, uh, to lay a wreath also on behalf of the International Christian Embassy. And you see here in the screen of uh, uh, ICJ headquarter that uh, shows you the, the banderal of the wreath that we could lay down um, among the many other wreaths that laid that were laid at Yad Vashem. Now, many people, they say, why are the Jewish people, why do they always need to commemorate in such a special way the Holocaust? And isn't it enough now? And shouldn't we move on and and, and just forget about that uh, dark episode in the past? And let me read you um, here from a historic speech. This was uh, President of Israel, Esser Weizmann who in January uh, 1996 uh, became the very first president of Israel that decided to speak and to address a, uh, the political body in Germany, the, the Bundestag, the parliament. And he started his speech with the following words, and I'm reading here some excerpts. And that's the way how he started. He says, all Jews in every generation must regard themselves as if they have been there in previous generations, places, and events. Only 200 generations have passed since a man named Abraham rose up and left his country and birthplace of his, of the, for the country that is today my country. 
Only 200 generations have elapsed from the day Abraham purchased the cave of Machpelah in the city of Hebron to the murderous conflicts that have taken place here in my generation. Only 150 generations have passed from the pillar of fire of the Exodus from Egypt to the pillars of smoke of the Holocaust. I am a descendant of Abraham, born in Abraham's country. I have witnessed them all. And he continued, he says, I was a slave in Egypt. I received the Torah at Mount Sinai. I was together with Joshua and Elijah crossing the Jordan River. I entered Jerusalem with David, was exiled from it with Zedekiah, and I did not forget it by the rivers of Babylon. And when the Lord returned the captives to Zion, I dreamed among the builders of its ramparts. I fought the Romans and I was banished from Spain. I was bound at the stake in mines. I studied the Torah in Yemen and I lost my family in Kishinev. I was incinerated in Treblinka and I rebelled in Warsaw and I emigrated to the land of Israel, the country whence I have been exiled from, and where I have been born, and from which I come, and to which I return. This is the way how Ezra Weizmann started this historic speech, and it shows you the DNA of the Jewish people that they will, not, they will never forget because it is part of each one of Israel's own history. They identify with that. Therefore, on a day like today, I am not concerned about Israel or the Jewish people, that they forget the lessons of the Holocaust, that they will forget what happened 75 years ago in Europe. But I am concerned on a day like this about other nations, about Germany, the country where I am coming from. I'm concerned about Europe and many other countries around the world that we do forget the lessons of the Holocaust. And that's why we have this seminar today uh, to bring, at least on this day, and we touch on this subject, of course, even more often during the year, uh, to bring back those unpleasant memories, but in order to learn from them and in order to make our future a better future. And we have today with us two very esteemed guests that I believe there is nobody who can speak better about that subject. And this is Mr. Shia Ben Yehuda, who was working for many, many years as the international director at Yad Vashem. And also we have the honor to have with us my predecessor, Malcolm Heading. And as you will learn, both of them, they played a key role in the establishment of the Christian desk at Yad Vashem, and it's a great joy and a great honor to have you with us on this Yom HaShoah. In particular, Shaya, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to a Christian audience today on such an important day. And Shaya, I will start with you. The floor is yours. Please uh, share with us what you have on your heart. So, uh, thank you for the invitation, and uh, as you're going to open the Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good day wherever you are. And thank you for joining us for this uh, webinar, uh, seminar. I would like to start uh, on such a very special day, as Jürgen said, it's in the DNA of uh, the Jewish people and uh, definitely for my generation, the generation of, the, of those who were there, my parents' generation, is uh, almost uh, almost faded, but uh, on in our in our generation, it's still very much part of our daily life, our daily thought. So I would like to start with uh, uh, two three stories because I don't I think in order to talk on such a day about the meaning and also what is the meaning of Holocaust remembrance to the Christian world and to humanity, I think we have to start with the stories of those who were there. So I would like to share a story of a, a, I would like to start with a story of one survivor. Let me just put the, let's see that I can put it. Yeah, I hope you can see it. And uh, I would like to start with the story of uh, Donia Rosen 
and Olina Hirsch-Horsheim. Donia Rosen, who was born on Kosovo, uh, later on moved to another place, and uh, not, uh, not so far after her father got married. And uh, when the war started, Donia Rosen was only 12 years old. And uh, the Nazis came in, and the persecution started, and soon after uh, in Colomea, deportation started, and she had to try and run away and to escape. Her father was already murdered at that time, and uh, she managed to survive. She survived in the forest. She survived like an uh, animal was, uh, that was trapped, uh, hunted daily, but she survived through a very special woman by the name Olina Hirschhorshein. Wouldn't she be there for her as a righteous among the nation? She would not survive. Actually, Donia Rosen didn't believe she's going to survive. So because she didn't believe she's going to survive, she left a last will. She wrote a last will in her diary while she was hiding in the forest. And what she wrote as a 12 years old is the following. Words fell for me, but I must write. I must. I want to ask you not to forget the deed. I want to beg you with all my heart that you establish a memorial to us, a monument that reaches the sky, a mark that will be seen throughout the world, a statue not of marble and not of stone, but of good deeds. For I believe with a full and perfect face that only such a monument can ensure you and your children a better future. And then the evil that size control of the world will not return. She didn't write it only for the Jewish people, for her people. She wrote it for entire humanity. And I think this is a very uh, important message that I will come back to that soon. The second story that I would like to uh, reflect on, it's a story that somehow I only came to see the full uh, circle, the closed circle of that story this morning on, the, on a radio program. I knew for many years that in Yad Vashem Museum, we have the braids of Lily Hirsch. And you can see it here on the, we can see it here, and it's in Yad Vashem Museum presented as part of the story of the Holocaust in Hungary. When her brother brought it to Yad Vashem, we asked him how she looked. And he said, I don't have any photo of her because before the war, before they were deported to Auschwitz, her mother convinced her that she had to cut her braids because it's not going to be clean enough in Auschwitz and with all the insects, it has to be cut. And she was convinced to cut it and, the, and they will give it to a, to a neighbor to keep it and they will get it back when they will come back from Auschwitz. Unfortunately, the only one who came back was her brother, and he didn't have a photo. But he remembered that the family had a, a, a family relatives in the States. So Yad Vashem approached them and got from the relatives in the States this photo where you see Lily with her braids. Her brother, who became a, pediatri a pediatrician, a doctor uh, for uh, kids, lived in Israel. 
and he was on the plane that was kidnapped on the way from France and was taken to Entebbe. Her brother's name was Yitzhak, Dr. Yitzhak Hirsch. And today he told the story of him being taken again by German uh, terrorists because part of the group that uh, kidnapped this plane were German terrorists and they were uh, landed in Entebbe. And there in Entebbe, there was a modern uh, righteous among the nation. This modern righteous among the nation was a captain of this uh, plane, Michel Bacos. And he said, I am going to stay with all the Jewish people that were not allowed to leave. And he stayed there until Israeli troops, that uh, one of the commanders was Rami Sherman, who was the operation officer of this uh, of the unit that liberated the, the people in uh, the terminal. And he stayed and came back with the Jewish people who were liberated in Entebbe by the IDF soldiers. And you can see them here when he was liberated by the IDF. Yitzhak, who was a survivor from Auschwitz-Birkenau, because he was taken to Auschwitz with his sister and his uh, parents, said that when he was taken to Entebbe, he felt that he is back in uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau. But there he had the Israeli IDF to liberate him. But he also had with him another righteous among the nation of our modern life, Michel Bacos. This is the man, Michel Bacos, who unfortunately passed away uh, last uh, two years ago. And uh, I'm bringing it because I believe that it's connect us and give us a perspective about the story of our day, of uh, the Holocaust Memorial Day of uh, Yom HaShoah. And then from there, I want to go to few-ish questions, which I think is part of what we have to ask ourselves, why Holocaust remembrance is important for Christianity, for humanity. And uh, I think it can be reflected by the entrance to Yad Vashem. Because when you stand at the entrance to Yad Vashem and you see the two paths in front of you, you have on the right side the avenue of the righteous among the nations that we can see here in the photo with the trees. And each tree was planted in honor of a non-Jew who helped a Jew during the Holocaust in order to help a Jew to survive, including Olina that we heard, her, we saw her story yesterday, just before. And interestingly, the lady, who established the Righteous Among the Nations department at Yad Vashem was the lady that was survived by Ulina. Donia Rosen was the first director of the Righteous Among the Nations department at Yad Vashem. And she took it upon herself because she understood it's important for us, the Jews, to remember and to honor. And therefore, the avenue is the entrance to Yad Vashem and was the first entrance to Yad Vashem when Yad Vashem was founded. Parallel to that entrance, on the left side, we have the bridge that takes us to the museum. And those two passes represent 
what I think must be the message of our day and for generations to come to everyone about what happened, how it could have happened, and who is responsible. The past cannot be changed. We have to live in the past. The question is for us, what can we learn from the past in order to make the future different? So I think that when you stand at the, those, uh, in front of those two passes, you have in your mind the message from Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. I have said before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore choose life. There were people who turned to say that the Holocaust happened because of God. And it was God who punished the Jewish people, God who neglected, God who ignored. However, I think the message from those two passes is it's not the act of God. It's God who created us. And that's what brings us together, that God created us all. All humanity was created by God, by his image. And it's therefore our responsibility to take the message and to understand that we have to make the decisions. We can make the decision to follow the way, the path of the righteous among the nations, and we can follow the path of death, which leads us to the story of the Holocaust. In history, there were periods that confrontations between Christianity and Judaism and anti-Semitism led to places of death. We cannot ignore it. We have to remember it. But it's up to us to make sure that the future and our days will be different. It's up to us to teach our children about what can be different from what happened in the past. And I remember on those days, on this day, very much how my parents, who managed to escape from Europe but lost most of their family there, how they felt on those days and how they remembered. But I think part of our uh, DNA is not only to remember the past, it's also to rebuild the future. Within a few days, we are going to mark uh, the Yom Atmut to celebrate the Independence Day of the State of Israel. And in, before that, the Memorial Day for the soldiers who perished during the Holocaust, uh, during the war, or during the years that they fought for the independence of the State of Israel. We have to remember that those who fought for the establishment of the state of Israel were the survivors who came from the ashes. And they didn't stay with all the sadness, with all the difficulties. They managed to put it aside for a time, not to put it behind, to put it aside for a time and to participate in building the future. And for them to build the future is to build a state that will be recognized by the world and will be able to partner with the rest of the world. As Ezer Weizmann said on his speech, that Jürgen just a magnificent speech, that Jürgen, you just quoted it. And I think up to us today, and by that I want to conclude my word now, is 
to the, make a decision that we are partnering in this endeavor, not to forget, but to take the right lesson. We have the ability and we have the responsibility to make the right decisions. And that's a, a message to all the Christian world, but it's beyond, it's a message to all humanity. If we want to follow the way of the Lord, the way of those who already followed the way of the Lord, the righteous uh, people, we have to make the right decisions. And to make the right decision is always to support life, always to recognize the right of every human being to live and to exist and to improve the world, to make the world better wherever we live. And I think if that's why we all have to continue and remember this uh, day. Well, thank you so much, Raya. Before I hand the microphone to uh, uh, Malcolm, um, just one brief question. If people are wondering today around the world when they listen to you, says, well, maybe I don't know many Jewish people in my neighborhood, but what can I do on such a day or maybe out from such a day uh, in order to make a difference in our country? What could be a practical step for them? In uh, everywhere or in Israel? I believe in particular around the world because that's where our, our listeners are coming from today. So I think it's a, I'll put it that way. We are on a special time, the, the time of a coronavirus. I think on such a time, the first thing we have to do when we get up in the morning is to ask ourselves if we know that our neighbor is safe. If we have looked to the needs of our, of our neighbors, we have to start in small scale. We have to ask ourselves how we can help those who need help how we can make sure that first of all, we conduct ourselves in a way that our neighbors will be secure. And then we can add to that, how we can support, how we can support Holocaust remembrance. And uh, I'm not at Yad Vashem anymore, but I can still encourage everyone to continue and support Yad Vashem. But also I want to encourage everyone to continue and remember. Remember by taking upon yourself to light a candle today. Remember by taking upon yourself to go into Yad Vashem website and to look for one name of a person who perished during the Holocaust and to say, this person I'm going to remember through this coming year. And to ask yourself day by day, what should I do to make sure such atrocity would never happen again? Well, this is very good, and I, this gives us already something which we uh, can take home with. But we are also joined today by Malcolm Heading, who was the theologian coming from South Africa. And he already from there is bringing uh, experience with him in his own life, how to fight uh, injustice and, and persecution in his own country as he was fighting theologically the apartheid system in South Africa. And then he came to Israel, moved with his family here to Israel, where he took a very clear stand with Israel. He was serving for 11 years as the executive director of the Christian embassy, uh, moved for almost 10 years or for, ten, yeah, I think close to 10 years to the United States. 
and just recently returned back uh, to make Jerusalem the center of his life. Malcolm, it's great to have you with us, one of the leading voices against anti-Semitism today. Please share with us what is on your heart. Malcolm, you need to unmute. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jürgen. Uh, it's great to see you today with your very unique and wonderful story uh, coming from Germany and the son of a German preacher and everything that happened with your father in the Second World War and the miracle of who you are and your family and your brother. We really also honor you today and salute you for the courage that you have shown to stand with the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And again, it's great to see my dear friend Shia uh, Ben Yehuda speaking today in such a wonderful and compassionate manner about these issues that are highlighted today as we remember the victims of the Holocaust. I'd like to read one scripture and uh, it, it's in a different context, but it applies certainly to today. And at the end, I'll say a little more about it. And uh, it comes from the book of Lamentations. And it is chapter 2 and verse 13. And it's a verse with a question. And two questions, in fact. And I think these questions search the mind and the heart of the Christian world on a day like this. And uh, it runs as follows. How shall I console you? To what shall I liken you, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I compare with you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is spread wide as the sea. Who can heal you? That's quite a question. And today we remember that six million Jewish men, women and children were murdered by the Nazi regime in the Holocaust. In fact, the term six million is very hard to grasp. But the prophet says it's as wide as the sea. Uh, the sea and its volume is very difficult to comprehend. Someone might tell you that today they swam in the Indian Ocean at the beach in Durban, South Africa. But in fact, they didn't. They simply swam near the shoreline amongst the waves. But the idea that they somehow swam the length and the breadth and the depth of the Indian Ocean is just not true. And they didn't. It is far too great. And we need to somehow understand today that the murder of six million innocent people simply because they were Jewish is without precedent. The figure is mind-boggling. It's like the depth and the width of the sea. And we should never let those words roll off our tongues easily because it is just beyond our ability to understand. The question in many respects for the Christian world is how did this happen? How did this happen? Just like the prophet asks questions. What will you do? What is your response? And how will you comfort the daughter of Zion? What will you do? And I think in Christian history, and we need to hear this, there were five foundational steps that took place through the centuries that in some respect made the Holocaust possible. I think 
we all recognize, as does Yad Vashem, that the Nazis were not Christian. Actually, they worshipped at the feet of Norse gods, to be honest. They were pagan in their sense of deity and understanding of who God is. They were not Christian. But we have understood that the underpinnings that made the Holocaust possible were Christian. And that such a catastrophe could be built on Christian underpinnings is absolutely devastating. And we need to face that. And we need to face it honestly. Not only because, as Shia has so well presented to us today, because of our relationship with the Jewish world and with Israel, but because of our relationship with humanity everywhere, that we have to be careful that these five foundational pillars are not erected. They do one thing ultimately, they dehumanize people. And they not only dehumanize them, but they demonize them. And once you dehumanize and demonize, then you can murder. And the five pillars that I think of in terms of the Christian world was that way back in time in the third and fourth centuries of Christian history, we had what we called the culturization of prejudice against the Jewish people. The canon of scripture was not formulated completely. Certainly, the canon of scripture was not available in any printed form or circulated amongst the Christian communities so that the average person in the pew could read it. No, there was a process of verbal culturization where the Jewish people were always presented in a bad light. And, uh, you know, that continues right up until today. And it's appalling that sometimes you hear people in public conversation suddenly come out with a joke that in one way or the other mocks the Jewish people. And that's because of this thing of culturization. It somehow has been met with acceptance in certain cultures and sadly, and has been in the Christian world. The next step was what I call sanitization. The Christian church through the centuries removed anything of a Jewish root and Hebraic foundation to their faith. And they removed these and replaced them with other concepts. And some of them were even pagan. But they, they removed them and gave them new names so that anything that had to do with the Jewish people was sort of sanitized from the scriptures and their understanding of them and presented in that sort of way, in liturgy, in behavior, in festivals, in celebrations. There was this removal of the Jewish rootedness of the Christian faith that the Christian scriptures speak so powerfully about. Thirdly, there was indoctrinization, that is, the formation of doctrinal positions that discredit the Jewish people. And particularly, we had for centuries what has now come to be known as the doctrine of contempt, that the Jewish people were totally outside of the love of God and were only kept alive as a demonstration of the anger and the wrath of God against them. It was only in the 1960s that the doctrine of contempt was finally rejected and taken out of Christian history. Fourthly, the liberalization, 
culturization, sanitization, indoctrinization, and liberalization. Jürgen has often powerfully spoken of the fact that in the late 19th century and early 20th century, liberal theologians within the Christian world, and actually in Germany in particular, such as the Bultmann schools and many others, began to question the authority of scripture. They began to treat it as if, as if it was uh, just any other book without any special authority or inspiration from God. So they removed from the, from the scriptures a platform upon which, upon, upon which one could build a proper relationship with the Jewish people and with the world around them. Liberalization, which undermined the authority of scripture in Germany. And of course, this disease, as it were, spread into the rest of the world through Christian theological seminaries where doubt was cast over the inspiration of both canons of scripture, the Hebrew canon of scripture and the Christian canon of scripture. And then there was the final platform, intimidation. And we saw that highlighted in Nazi Germany given that all of these things came together, culturization, hold the Jews with prejudice, sanitization, take anything Jewish out of the Christian faith, its festivals and its practices, indoctrinization, come to doctrines of theology that disinvested the Jews of a future hope in the purpose of God, liberalization, cast doubt over the scripture, and you create a vast vacuum into which the Nazis stepped with their program of fear, demonization, and destruction. That's my friends, how we came to the Holocaust with its Christian underpinnings, giving ruthless pagans the opportunity to wield their sword against the Jewish people, standing all the while on the shoulders of Christian anti-Semitism. Now, I too want to tell you a story, and with this I'll close. Some years ago, in the early 1980s, when I lived here, I uh, was part of an expatriate church in downtown Jerusalem called the Jerusalem Christian Assembly, otherwise known as JCA, the founder of which was my dear friend, Jim Cantillon. And we would meet as a church in the YMCA auditorium. I'm sure Jürgen is well acquainted with it. And on Tuesday mornings, we would have a leadership meeting at the YMCA over breakfast. We were quite close to Christmas. And here we were having our breakfast and talking about our Christmas services. When suddenly the manager of that institution at that time, who was Israeli and Jewish, a man by the name of Yossi, approached our table and said to us, could I sit down and talk to you? So we said, Bavakasha, please. What's up? And he said, I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm Jewish, I'm not a Christian. But I am requesting whether I can come to your Christmas Day service, your caroling service in the evening, actually, on Christmas Eve. So I looked at him and said, Yossi, what's, what's up? 
Why are you making this request? And then he told us the story, <clears throat> which highlights everything I've said to you today. He said, well, I was born in Hungary. And as a young teenager, on a certain day, we were all rounded up by the Nazi Gestapo. We were taken to a Nazi facility in the city. And we were told to undress girls and boys together. To put all our jewelry and watches in receptacles, we were herded into a courtyard and at the other end was a machine gun. It was in fact Christmas Eve. You can imagine how we suddenly sat up. And he said, just before we were going to be murdered and gunned down, a Nazi officer walked into the courtyard shouting, stop. He argued with the other officers. And after a long debate, they agreed that we could get dressed and would be released into his custody. And he said to the Nazis who were about to kill us, his fellow officers, he said, you cannot kill them on Christmas Eve because it is the Eve of Christmas. Rather, give them to me and after Christmas Day, we can kill them. And so they were all placed in the custody of this Nazi officer who had a truck outside. Yossi said we all climbed into the truck and we were driven to freedom. Because the man was actually not Gestapo. He was a Christian. He was a Christian diplomat. His name was Raoul Wallingberg. So he said, we were nearly murdered because of Christmas Day. But we were saved because of Christmas Day. And I vowed from that day forward, that every Christmas Eve, I would go to a church. So the prophet cries out, the daughter of Zion lies in ruin. The beautiful daughter of Zion. How can we help her? And who will comfort her? Well, Ralph Wallingbird did. As a Christian. But he understood the foundations upon which this horrific Nazi system was built. The principles I've shared with you today are universal. Let no nation be culturized in a way that they are despised. Let no nation think that their lives should be sanitized from history. Let no nation feel that they are ever outside of the love of God. Let no nation ever feel that the word of God in the Hebrew and Christian canons is not inspired. And dear friends, let us never, never provide a climate 
where such fear, intimidation, can wreck the lives of anyone. This is Yom Hashoah. The day when we remember what happened to six million Jews. Wow, thank you so much, Malcolm, for, for this uh, touching world. And what a story about Raoul Wallenberg. It's a man who actually did pay at the end with his life for his actions and ended up in uh, the Russian Gulag for uh, his action where he disappeared, but was uh, one of those heroes that existed across Europe and uh, that is honored by Yad Vashem as the righteous among the nations or among the Gentiles. Now, um, we would like to offer the platform for everybody who has a question about what you just heard or something related to this unique um, day. And I see here one, one comment, and I would like to turn this into a question where it says, under Joseph Stalin, the great famine between 32 and 33, more than between 7 to 10 million innocent life became a national tragedy. Of course, we all understand that under Joseph Stalin, even more people got killed in the Soviet Union. But what is it that makes the Holocaust so unique in a way that you can't really compare it that any other, with any other tragedy around the world? And I would like to pose this question to both of you, Malcolm and Shia. What is the singularity in a way to say about the Holocaust and what Yad Vashem commemorates? I think, um, I think for me, if, if I may start, is that the idea uh, that was in the mind of the Nazis, which was different from Stalin. Stalin was a ruthless dictator who had no time or purpose for his people. But he certainly, he certainly had no plan to exterminate the whole Russian population. He certainly used them as fodder, but he needed them also in his gulags and his slave systems and his, and his collective farming systems in order to build the dream that he had for the Soviet Union. There was no program of extermination. What we have here in the Holocaust is an attempt, a deliberate attempt to actually exterminate a whole people as, as one would exterminate pests in one's house worms or some form of spider. This is how they viewed the Jewish people. So it stands out uniquely from all these others. And yes, there've been many more. Listen, I came from South Africa and I saw uh, that 30 million people were dehumanized and robbed of their human dignity and men forgot what Shia, my dear friend, said, that they too were created in the image of God. But there was never an attempt, actually, to exterminate all the black people. But this is unique. It stands above everything. Because if the Nazis had gotten their way, there wouldn't be one Jew left in the world today. And that, my friend, is the difference. I think that uh, basically I very much agree with what uh, my dear friend uh, Melkov just said. Uh, and actually, this claim about uh, the comparison between Stalin and Hitler is uh, being uh, done by a famous book, uh, Gladlands, uh, but uh, Tim Timothy Snyder, that wrote a special book about it. However, as Melkov said, and I will just use one uh, different word, is not uh, to annihilate entire people, it's to annihilate a race. The Nazi, in any other atrocities in the past and in our day, there was no event that there was a decision to annihilate the entire race. The way to do it is to dehumanize them, and to 
say that they are subhuman, they are not part of humanity. But that it never happened. And the decision of the Nazis to annihilate the entire Jewish race is an unprecedented. And we have to make all efforts to make sure, and it's up to us, that it will not happen. And I would like to say that, as I've said before, as we approach the, the next week, the very special uh, days of our uh, marking the day in the memory of the soldiers who gave their life. And following that, the Independence Day, when we, when we celebrate the independence of the State of Israel, I want to say that part of our efforts to ensure that it will never happen again. And the comfort that we can get today from the past is this special friendship of the International Christian Embassy and the Jewish people, and especially the State of Israel and the special partnership between the Christian Embassy, the International Christian Embassy, and Yad Vashem, that was founded by my dear friend, uh, Malcolm, uh, together with me, but I think, Malcolm, you were so instrumental for us to be able to do it. And I think that when I think on such a day about the uh, pain, the sadness, it reminds me the story, the famous story of Rabbi Akiva, who visited Temple Mountain uh, with his friends. And they saw the foxes coming out uh, from the place where uh, the temple used to be. And everything is uh, destroyed, only the ruin. And everyone started crying. And Rabbi Akiva started laughing. And, uh, Rabbi Akiva, and they asked him, Rabbi Akiva, why do you laugh? Look at what you see, the ruin. Everything is destroyed. Actually, on those days, Jews were not able to go beside one day, the Tisha B'Av, the day of the destruction, to go to the mount, uh, Temple uh, Mountain. So Rabbi Akiva replied and said to them, because I have witnessed what God promised that will happen, I know that what God promised us that will happen in the future will come. And he read and he quoted the words from the book of the Korea, chapter 8. Thus said the Lord to the host. There shall yet be old men and women in the squares of Jerusalem, each with stuff in hand because of their great age. And the square of the city shall be crowded with boys and girls' age. And the square of the city shall be crowded, sorry, uh, with playing in the, in the square. Thus says the Lord, of the host. So I think that what your work, your support, and the promise of God, and what we can witness to see, what we can see today in Jerusalem streets and in the entire state of the state of Israel, giving us the comfort that better days are coming and will continue to be with us. But we have to work hard to ensure that it will continue. So from my side, I want to thank everyone who participated in this seminar and to thank the Christian Embassy and all the followers, all those who are participating and supporting the work of the Christian Embassy for what you are doing for the Jewish people and the State of Israel. You bring us comfort. Well, thank you so much. We already passed an hour in this webinar. And um, I would like to encourage everybody who feels that in particular on a day like this, you would like to do something 
to bless Yad Vashem in a special way. We do have the Christian desk of Yad Vashem. The ICJ is the main partner of this desk. It was actually established by the two gentlemen that you are looking at, Shia ben Yehuda and Malcolm Heading. They were the pioneers who started this truly historic work of the Christian desk at Yad Vashem. And there are many things that this desk is undertaking uh, from taking leaders and pastors from around the world to special educations to Yad Vashem, or also to take care of uh, even the trees of the righteous among the, among the Gentiles. If you want to support that, please go to the website of the ICJ and make a donation towards the Christian desk at Yad Vashem, and you will undergird greatly the important work at Yad Vashem. And uh, in closing, I would like to give both to Malcolm and Shaya, if you want to have a closing word on this uh, very special day, Yom HaShoah, here in Israel, again this morning, the siren was uh, ringing across the whole nation. The whole nation came to a standstill, commemorating six million Jews that perished during the Holocaust. So if you have uh, a closing word for, word for us on this very unique day, Shaya and Malcolm, and then uh, we call this uh, special seminar to an end. Welcome, please. All right. Well, I am uh, reminded today, as Shaya has repeatedly said, that while we should remember and never forget the past, the Holocaust Memorial at Yad Vashem, where one walks through and sees the building planks of Nazism and what happened, it ends with a beautiful vista that opens up wildly and gives one a beautiful picture of the hills of Judea and of Zion and Jerusalem. And I think, as we've said today, the God of Israel has been with his people. He has remembered them. He has brought them home. He has planted them in the ancient homeland. And the prophet Isaiah said, that we should continue to pray for them and to bless them and to bring God into remembrance of them until he establishes Jerusalem mm -hmm. as a glorious praise in the earth. Yad Vashem on Holocaust Memorial Day opens with a vista mm -hmm. to a glorious prophetic future of Israel. God bless you. Amen. Amen. I think that uh, in order to conclude, I would like uh, to follow uh, Isaiah, which is actually the same of my name, and uh, his word that when you need to watch Jerusalem, when you will have to speak out and not to be quiet, not to be silenced, we are not allowed to be silenced. So you are the watcher on Jerusalem walls, on the state of Israel walls, and there are challenges today, we know about it. And you have to continue to make your voice loud wherever mm -hmm. and whenever it's needed and together we shall build a strong future and a better future for the Jewish people, for the Christian people and for humanity. And thank you for joining. Amen. What powerful words. And maybe take a very practical step uh, with you for today uh, on this Yom HaShoah. Maybe even before this day comes to an end, use the opportunity and maybe talk to somebody in the pub tonight or at workplace, wherever you are, and say, do you know that today in Israel they are engaging on Yom HaShoah, commemorating? You might share with them the amazing stories that you heard from Malcolm and Shia and uh, make this a very personal story to people so that people will not forget what happened in Europe 
just a little bit more than 70 years ago. And you have seen here, we have next week another very interesting panel waiting for you at the same time on Thursday. Uh, in the, it's Yom Hatzmaut. Shaya mentioned that we always, every year, one week after Yom HaShoah, we go into celebration mode where we celebrate the miracle of the independence of the state of Israel. And we have two very special guests with us. They will be hosted by our own uh, David Parsons. Uh, this is Jerry Klinger, an activist and journalist from the United States, and uh, Sam Philip, an Israeli artist. And they will make a very unique presentation about the role that evangelical Christians throughout the last 100 years played in the establishment of the state of Israel. It will be a very interesting talk. You will not want, you don't want to miss that. Make sure next week on uh, Thursday, the 15th of April at four o'clock to be there again at our webinar. And then also we will have this coming Sunday at six o'clock. We start the Rosh Chodesh prayer gathering, which is a, a monthly prayer gathering where we started praying according to the Jewish calendar. Every Rosh Chodesh, we have this, this uh, week more than 72 nations joining us, uh, praying all together more than 100 hours for the nation of Israel, but also for the country where you are coming from. So let's meet each other again at our prayer gathering or next week at the uh, ICEJ webinar for Yom Hatzma'ut in Israel. Uh, thanks so much, Malcolm Heading and Shaya Ben Yehuda for taking the time to be with us. This webinar also will be available on Facebook. You can watch it also on our YouTube channel. So if you want to revisit, get some of the names, some of the details, you can do this at your leisure. God bless you and see you next week. God bless you.